what, what did I have to lose? Like I had nothing. I, my marriage was over. I'd moved from Hawaii where I'd lived for 33 years. I knew no one in Sacramento and I embarrassed myself so badly in, you know, when I started it, cause like I said, you're terrible at anything, playing the piano, you know, um, anything that you start, you're awful at, you've got to study. So, mm-hmm. and then I found out I loved it, luckily. If you're a busy mom, but you have writing goals and dreams that you're working on, this podcast is here to help you achieve them. My name is Jackie, and I'm a mother and an author of a self-published young adult novel and a firm believer in the power of moms to create. This podcast is about finding inspiration and insight. It's about learning new ways to fuel your writing and to share your writing with the world. And sometimes, actually all the time, it's about taking a moment to just laugh at and appreciate the crazy everyday chaos that is being a writing mother. Hey, welcome back to These Moms Write. This is your host, Jackie. Have you ever thought about doing stand-up comedy? According to the overwhelming response from a poll on our These Mums Write Facebook group, most of you would rather eat glass in a plane full of snakes than try to get a crowd of people to laugh. Today's guest, Jackie Pearl, would disagree. In addition to writing fiction and non-fiction, this 50-something mother of three launched a stand-up comedy career just a few years ago. Jackie came to comedy during a difficult time of her life and hasn't looked back. Since launching her comedy career, she has performed in clubs, casinos, and some dirty bars in the middle of nowhere from Hawaii to New York, and today shares what it's like to not only give yourself permission to reinvent yourself, but also fascinating insights into what it means to write for the comedy stage that writers of all stripes can apply. Please welcome Jackie Pearl. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Jackie. Jackie and Jackie here today. (laughs) So many Jackies. I get excited when I meet other Jackies. Do you have that feeling? I do. And I never, I rarely do I see them spelled my name. Both of my names are spelled weird. So Jackie is J-A-C-Q-U-I. And then Pearl, it's pronounced Pearl, but it's P-I-R-L, like girl with a P. Yeah. I always think of you Q Jackies as like the fancier of the Jackies. Uh, well, it's just short for Jacqueline, aren't you? I know, but for some reason, mine, it's like my consonants are dumbed down, you know, because it yeah. should be, it should be a Q. Anyway, yeah. I'm so excited to talk to you today about all of the things, your comedy and what got you there and the writing. But I always like to start with the question, which is what are you excited about right now? Two projects that I've been working on, and I've been working on them simultaneously, uh, intentionally, because one of them is really heavy material. One of them is my mother-in-law was one of my favorite people in the world. I know the whole mother-in-law trope, but it doesn't fit. I adored her. She was very, she was almost 50 when she had my ex-husband. So she'd lived an entire life. Wow. Uh, she was born in Eastern Germany. Well, she, if you hear her say it, she'll say she was born in Prussia or Silesia because that's what her parents called it. I mean, she is the most amazing woman. She lived through two world wars. She's been a refugee twice in her life. Um, her first memory was in, she was born in 1916. So her first memory is in 1918. And it was her mother throwing all six of the kids on a cattle car to get away from the Russian army coming in during World War One. 
just she has the most amazing stories. She moved to America uh, when my ex was four and she didn't speak English. She cleaned houses and babysat during the day and learned English at night. And at the age of 50 became a neonatal nurse. They had, which is amazing. I mean, I can't imagine learning anything, much less a new language and taking medical classes at 50 something. It's crazy. And um, when I had my first daughter 28 years ago, she said, I'm going to retire so you can go back to work three days a week and I'll watch your baby. So when I I was, I was um, traveling quite a bit. I was, I was, uh, I was the operations director of an anatomic pathology lab at the time. And so I did a lot of travel. I was in Hawaii. That's where we're from. And I, I traveled a lot. So I would bring her work with when I was still nursing the kids and I would go to work and do all my meetings and she would stay home with the kids. And at night we'd put the kids to bed and I brought a tape recorder and I just started recording all of her stories, amazing stories from living through a war And when she was going to tell me the good stuff, she would say, um, in her German accent, she would say, now, Jackie, you turn off the big quarter and I tell you what really happened. And that's when I would take notes. So I'm working on, I'm working on a a historical novel based loosely on her. Yeah. Uh, But it's been a lot of research. And because I adored her so much, she died in 2006. And I'm listening to all these tapes again. You know, I can mm. hear my kids in the background. Oh. It's been a really emotional oh. yeah. kind of thing. So that's a oh. heavy duty thing. And it's taken me a long time to plug through that. So to balance that off, I started working on, I don't like to call it a memoir because that seems so lofty, but it's, it, it's, it's a funny, I, I do stand-up comedy. I mean, that's, that's what I do for a living. So I have a lot of parenting stories. And so <laughs> I work, <laughs> yeah. I bet you do. I, I'm working on um, a project. It, it, the working title is follow me for more great parenting advice. And they're basically <laughs> a slew of stories, you know, short chapters of just complete screw-ups that we've done because we all do it you know not mm. not like things that would send your kids to therapy or anything like that but you know mm-hmm. forgetting their lunches um mm. yeah I mean I, my mother was visiting and my kids like to drink um it's called aloha made iced tea in Hawaii it's a sweet tea and that's I would pack that in their lunch you know once or twice a week as a, as a snack instead of milk and it was six o'clock in the morning and I went to pack their lunches and my mother drinks Miller Lite in a can, which comes in an almost identical blue can as a little homemade <laughs> No, Jackie, no. So I got a call from an absolutely panicked sixth grader who said, mom, you packed me a beer. <laughs> oh my God, I'm going to get kicked out of school. This is zero tolerance, you know? And I was like, oh. And, you know, in the story, oh I say, I just, I just said to her, you're 12, drink it like we would have did, done. What's wrong? And get rid of the evidence. What's wrong with you? Weak. In reality, I went to school and exchanged it like a drug dealer in the parking lot with her for an actual iced tea. But there's stories like that, which are a lot of fun. And and I think a lot of women who just do way too much, probably yourself included, need to know that you can't be perfect all the time, you know? 
Yeah. And so you alluded to your past career, and you, but you do stand up now. So tell me, how did that happen? Uh, I majored in um, journalism uh, with a minor in um, uh, sales and marketing communications. So since then, always been in, you know, a people person kind of thing. But I, mm. I love to write. So on the side, I would always write. I've published a few books, um, things in mm. education. But I've, you know, I had a parenting um, column in a Hawaii magazine called Hawaii Parent for many okay. years. And once a month, I would write a parenting article. They usually, they usually just throw out something and I, you know, spend the month doing some research, whether it was on, you know, internet protocols for children. Um, some of them are pretty heavy topics, teenagers and, and depression, suicide, um, some of them were, you know, pretty easy things, uh, how to plan the perfect sleepover for a five-year-old, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I wrote a lot of travel articles. I wrote for Honolulu Magazine. I wrote for um, one of the local papers there. So I've always loved mm. writing. I've always loved telling stories. And I was married for 25 years um, and I got divorced and my son had gotten into UCLA down in Southern California. We were paying out-of-state tuition. So I thought, well, I'll move to California for a bit. That'll bring tuition like down to, I don't know, you're in Canada, right? You guys, I don't have ridiculous American tuition. Tuition was $52,000 a year out of state. Who can afford that? You know, That's American dollars too. American dollars. <laughs> so I moved to California and once I moved and I was here for six months, I got residency and it went down to 12,000. Whoa, that's amazing. So he was able to take out a bit of a loan and I could help him with some of it and he got through. So that's why I moved here, but I was mm. bored. You know, I lived mm. in Hawaii for 33 years and I was just bored and I started, I love comedy. So I started going to comedy shows and then I met comedians and I would talk to them and they said, you know, you're kind of funny. You should, you should try it out like an open mic. You know, it's kind of like karaoke for jokes, you know? Yeah. And so I started going and I realized I can write, you know, my, most of these comics just tell funny stories at a party, but I come from a writing place. So mm. I've already got half of it licked and I started doing it. So for the past five years, I've been doing stand up comedy all over the <laughs> all over the United States. And I love it. But you can't just you. OK, you sl slow down there, Jackie. I think most people <laughs> the idea of going up on stage, it would be terrifying. Like, did you? Yes, it was. Okay, tell us, tell us a little bit about that because I feel like that's really amazing that uh, you did that. Yeah. It, okay. So I started going to comedy, and then somebody said, "There's these open mics where anybody can pop up and tell a story for five minutes." And I would start mm -hmm. to. I, I went, but I could never get up the nerve to grab the mic. It was mm -hmm. like I'm a writer. You get to hide behind a keyboard. Yeah. You know, totally. your pen and paper. You don't have to. They don't get to see you. Yeah. So I kept going and I kept going. And and there's a comic in town. He's got a, quite a few comedy albums out. I'm in Sacramento. And he was doing a class for beginners. And I realized that if I didn't sign up and pay my money and commit to going, you know, once mm. a week for these three hours on a Saturday, I was never going to do it. So I did that. And the last class, instead of class, he put on a show and he had a, a really popular headliner, Johnny Taylor Jr., come up and do the end. So people were there to see a show. But all the people in the class also invited all their 
you know, their relatives, their parents, their kids, their whoever. So there were the first time I, I got in front of a mic, there were 150 people in the room. Wow. Wow. But I had spent weeks honing and working Mm -hmm. on this. I'd never before, I've never done heroin, but I imagine that's what it feels like. Like it was such a drug. I was just like, I'm addicted to this. Oh my God. I can't. It was amazing to me. It was absolutely amazing. And to be able to tell your story, us as mm-hmm. women don't, you know, through history are not the ones telling the stories. And to be able to get up there and tell your story or your version that you want people to hear of whatever it is, making it funny and making people laugh is just, it's such a joy. I love it. I love it. And people need to laugh, especially after being locked down. So does it change the way you write now? Now that you're writing for that stage versus when you used to be writing for columns? I I have to switch it up, you know? So if I'm going to, if I'm going to write a serious article, I need, I I need a day or two. It's like it it functions in different parts of my brain. You know, like when, when I'm working on my mother-in-law's story, Mm -hmm. I'm working on my mother-in-law's stories, you know, with, with, books of World War One and World War Two and maps of Germany. And it's very different. And I, I always try to find the humor in some things as, mm. as she did, but it's a much more serious thing. Whereas a lot of comedy writing, it comes from everyday life. You know, it just, it some of it you can't make mm. up. It's just too funny in real life. What themes then come out? So I love that you're saying, you know, we as women don't tell our stories. And this is such a beautiful, amazing menu for you to to surface those yeah. things and it's all coming from your lived experience so like what is it my style of comedy is personal and observational so mm-hmm. i'm commenting on my life and i do a lot of you know parenting talking about raising kids you know i, I was married for 25 years i i got divorced at 52 and had to start my life over um in california i do a lot of wineries so it's my age of crowd and a lot mm-hmm. of women mm-hmm. and Uh, you know, marriages don't last as long as they used to. There's a lot of divorced (laughs) people out there. Yeah. And I think it's, I I think some of it is uplifting to find out, you know, I I literally decided to do stand-up comedy at the age of 52, which is insane. You know, (laughs) who does that? (laughs) So it's, it's, it's a bit inspirational. It's a bit, um, it's relatable, I think. And and when I do college crowds, I think they can relate to me too, because I do have three kids and they're, they're 23 mm. through 28 years old and that's college age, you know, and I talk to them about, um, you know, things and, and a lot of it is, is, you know, I'm making fun of myself. They're laughing at me. I'm the yeah. joke here, uh, <laughs> but in a good way. Yeah. Do you find like, especially with the the woman audience, like, are you surfacing, issues about like midlife crisis well as women we spend a lot of time caring for others you know and and i think i'm like i will be 57 in april so women of my generation especially we're taught to please people you know we say yes we we cook we we take care of others people's needs we're we're taught to be nourishing people um i think almost to the extent that we forget to take care of ourselves sometimes Mm. And so I think, I think some of that is that message, um, mm-hmm. midlife crisis at the age of 50, my kids were grown. They were off in college or they were out of the house. I'm, um, my youngest was still with me. She was 17 at the time and came to California with me, but 
you come to a certain place in your life. And I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't have a full-time job at the time. I mm. was, I was, you know, doing freelance writing and that kind of stuff where you're not pouring all your energy into somebody else. And you kind of go, who have I been for the last 50? Who's this Jackie person? I've been living <laughs> in her body and I don't even know who she is, you know? And I think that was my midlife crisis that mm. and getting used to being kind of an empty nester. Um, 25 years is a long time to be married, you know, being divorced, um, that whole thing. And just trying to take some time to figure out who the hell am I, you know, what, what I've lived in this body my entire life and <laughs> never considered I had needs and stuff, you know, until about five years ago, I never really heard the term. What is that term where you're taking care of yourself? Self-care, you know, so it's like, <laughs> what is that? Like I got laundry to do. I've got to pick the kids up. I got to make dinner. I've got to get this project done for work. You know, the, the bathroom needs to be retiled. You know, it's like self-care, mm -hmm. get out of here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I, I think a lot of that is not necessarily sitting at the spa, doing your nails and hair. I think it's looking inside and going, what is it I want to do? And I think that's important for women of our age. You know, let's say you always wanted to draw or paint, but you never did. Who had time to draw? You had, you know, three kids in diapers running around. What the hell are you talking about? Um, or, <laughs> maybe you wanted to garden or, or maybe you wanted to, I don't know, learn carpentry or whatever it is. And that brings you joy. And I mm. don't think a lot of women a have time for that uh, when they're raising kids and having families or in my generation, taking care of older parents. But I think it's important to find what brings you joy. What is your passion? And I think that's a lot of the midlife crisis. And I think with a lot of women, if you do find what that is, it makes the other stuff when it's lonely and dark, much easier, mm. much easier. And what was that like for you then? Cause obviously uh, doing stand up was gave you like this amazing joy. That's so exciting. Yeah. yeah. Um, like, how did you looking back at yourself when you started doing that? Like, what changes did you do you think happened? I think doing stand up was an accident. I've always been a storyteller. Um, mm. Another thing I've done is I write women's anthologies. So I write her story and I I will, um, I haven't done it in a while because I'm mostly writing stand-up, but I, I did one for a friend of mine whose family never knew that they were Japanese, they lived in Hawaii, who never knew that their grandmother came over as a war bride until I recorded her story. Oh, and wow. she was able, she was able to tell me that. So, um, yeah, my, I think my passion has always been telling stories, mm. writing um, hearing other people's stories. So it wasn't that far of a stretch to go into comedy because life is just comical. If it's not, it's, you know, it's either a tragedy or a comedy and I'd rather see it as a comedy. And I think when I do comedy, a lot of women are out there, you know, having a good time with their girlfriends for that night, but they're, they have some holes in their life and it seems tragic. And when you kind of just shift that a bit, and make it comedic it, it's a little easier to go on you know and to totally. look at things and what did your like what did your your kids say when you told them i'm gonna start doing stand-up and i'm going to las vegas to tour with, with was it the last show i it's called the cougars gone wild 
Yeah, we have we have a, a cougar collective and there's like eight or nine of us in California and Las Vegas. These women were mm. all about my age, you know, between mm. the age of 50 and 60. Uh, we all started doing com comedy later in life. Mm. And it's usually five to a show. So we kind of rotate, but we do it all over California, Las Vegas. We're going to um, New York and, and L.A. And wow. Wow. And it packs, it packs out rooms because women want to. There's not. I mean, if you mm. I don't know if you've ever been to a comedy show, but it's definitely still a sausage fest. I mean, it's mostly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Is in the room. A lot of dicks, you know, totally. And, um, but I, yeah, I don't I, I, I don't. It, it just, to me, it made sense to start telling my story, mm -hmm. how I wanted it to be heard. You know, you're, you're always the uh, antagonist in somebody else's story. I mean, not always, but you're, you're the antagonist in somebody else's story, whether it's an ex-husband, mother-in-law, uh, neighbor that doesn't like you, but to, to get to tell your story is, is powerful. It is powerful. Yeah. My kids thought I was crazy to get back to that. Um, <laughs> I mean, first of all, they saw how unhappy I was mm -hmm. after the course. That wasn't what I wanted. It wasn't, um, it, it, and that's a whole other story. I, I divorced him, but it was after six or seven years of trying to get him some help. It just became obvious to me that I was, anyway. So I was very depressed. And they saw that they saw me like literally do nothing for six months. I mean, just barely functioning, serious depression. So when I started going out to comedy, not even doing it, just going out, you know, you get, it gives you some energy. It fills you with laughter and, and makes your brain think differently. And you're laughing at, at other people's misfortunes, you know, in a, in a, in a good way, that's what they're putting out there. And you kind of look at yours and you go, my life's not that bad. You know, <laughs> have you, yeah. ever, have you ever seen the show, uh, Frankie and Grace? No, it's that's Lily just, Tomlin and, oh, okay. and it's the story of women. They're probably in their mid sixties and they have been married to these two men for 40 plus years. And their husbands are law partners. So the four of them have to get together for business functions. But the ladies do not like each other at all. Mm -hmm. Never have. Lily Tomlin is a pot smoking hippie. And Jane Fonda dresses like Grace Kelly in white and is just the perfection of manners. But they're always forced to, to be together socially because their husbands own a law firm. And the beginning scene of it and I'm not ruining anything for those of you who haven't seen it, but the beginning scene of it, the two ladies are sitting at a table in a restaurant waiting for their husbands to come because they're having dinner. Their husbands have this big announcement. It probably has something to do with the law firm and they just hate each other. You can tell. And the men come in and sit down and they each turn to their wives and they tell them that they're divorcing them because the two men have been in a relationship for 40 years. And now that marriage is legal, they want to get married. They're gay. <laughs> and I just looked at that when I saw that and it was in the middle, right before I started comedy. And I went, my life doesn't suck that much, <laughs> you know, different perspective. And that's when I started going to comedy shortly after that doing comedy. And I actually met Lily Tomlin uh, in 2019, she invited me to her dressing room after a what? show, and I got to tell her that story. Oh my God, that's so amazing! You met, yeah, 
but my kids thought I was crazy and they would <laughs> kind of, you know, you're never good at anything when you started, whether it's painting or pottery or learning Writing. to draw anything, artistic. Yeah, anything. The, the violin, you suck at it when you start, mm. but there's no yeah. way to get better, but to do it. So in the beginning, I was terrible until I found my voice. And, mm. um, and so my kids saw a few of those early shows and just went, Oh my God, mom, what are you doing? <laughs> um, <laughs> but I've been doing it for five years now and I've gotten fairly good at it. And now they like to come and they will even bring their friends and their, you know, boyfriends and girlfriends. And I've been able to go, my older two still live in Hawaii and I've been able to go back to Hawaii and they came out with a, a horde of, you know, boyfriends, girlfriends, friends. And these are, these are girls and boys that I like raised, you know, they had sleepovers at my house. I've changed some of their diapers and to hear auntie Jackie up on stage telling stories like the, the it was a blast. They had so much fun. But yeah, sometimes when I tell my son, I'm like, I'm going to go to Las Vegas. He's like, who are you going with? And I'm like, oh, five dudes. He's like, what? Mom, where are you staying? I'm like, I don't know. We've got a bed. We're going to crash on the couches, you know, somewhere. We're just doing shows. And he's like, what are you in college again? What's going on, Mom? (laughs) But yeah. yeah. I mean, this is, to me, just an amazing life that you have. Was it... (laughs) Like this is so, like, I was so gonna much. Do. I was gonna sit in my room and die of depression. Like I had to find something. You know, <laughs> I kind of have this tendency that when when I'm afraid of something, I tend to hit it head on. You know, I realized when I moved to Hawaii at 18 that I was terrified to fly, and you can't go anywhere when you're in Hawaii unless you fly. So I I took up skydiving because I figured if I could. <laughs> Of course you did. Of course you did. Oh my God. Because I figured out like if I could get over this fear, then I would be okay to fly. Oh my God. Yeah. And what I realized skydiving was I'm not afraid to fly. I'm afraid of the takeoff and the landing and jumping out of the plane when you're midair eliminates half that. <laughs> what? What? But yeah. you're jumping out of a plane. Is that not more terrifying than landing on no. a tarmac and just closing? I loved it. At least you're in control of your own destiny, your own death. You know, you're not, you know, pilot isn't going to crash you. You're either going to make it or you're not. And stand up was a little bit like that too. It was like, <laughs> I, what, what did I have to lose? Like I had nothing. I, my marriage was over. I'd moved from Hawaii where I'd lived for 33 years. I knew no one in Sacramento. And I embarrassed myself so badly in, you know, when I started it, because like I said, you're terrible at anything, playing the piano, you know, um, anything that you start, you're awful at, you've got to study. So, Mm -hmm. and then I found out I loved it, luckily. That's amazing. And it's brilliant too, because yeah, just that permission to be, do it messy, be a C student. Yes. And I think that's important, you know. I haven't, I hadn't dated since 1989. And that's when I met my ex. I mean, that's insane. Some people weren't even born yet, you know, (laughs) dating again is a whole, like it's, it's all online and it's, it's awful out there. It's terrible. But 
when I started, I was like, this is awful. And I just quit immediately. And then I thought, you know what? Especially when I started doing comedy. Now this is all just material for the stage. I hope I have an awful date and get some writing. Yeah. (laughs) But, But you give yourself permission to do something awful. Like, so what? You go on a date and it's the worst date in the world. You know, as long as you're doing it safely, it didn't affect the rest of your life that doesn't determine the rest of your life you you start a job and you find out you hate it you quit you can find another job who who knew you know even a marriage as long as mine you know it took me a long long time to realize this was not fixable and I didn't want it fixing but and I was terrified to be alone again at that age Mm. but you can start over I don't I don't care if you're 17, 27, 107, you can start over anytime you want. Mm -hmm. You just got to give it a shot and and give yourself permission to be really lousy at whatever you're doing for a while. (laughs) Totally. And I think that, I wonder if it's like the older you get or you, you get more afraid of being bad at something and more afraid of being, taking that risk and Maybe it's just my, you know, rose-colored glasses, but I feel like... No, there's really something to that. Um, Columbia University did a study where they asked, they followed kids from kindergarten, I think, all the way till they were 30. And they asked the kids in kindergarten some real basic questions. Can you dance? Can you sing? Can you draw? And you know, every kindergartner can dance, they can sing, they can draw. And by the time these kids were about 13, 14, 15, they started, you know, self-selecting themselves out of there. Mm. I can't sing. Well, of Mm. course, I could sing right now. You and I could sing a song. We can sing. We We might not do it well. Not well. Can you dance? Can you dance? No, they would say they can't dance. And can oh. you draw? No, I'm a terrible drawer. Oh, you, yeah. You're better. You're better at dancing and singing and drawing than you were at five. But you had a different thought process of it. And my whole thing is, yes, you can still dance. You can still sing. You can still draw. You just have to give yourself a little bit to be bad at it. And I know a lot of people who paint who are terrible at it, but they love to do it. So why, why do you have to self-select yourself out of something you enjoy because you're bad at it? Mm, yeah you know don't don't get a job teaching art but <laughs> paint in your free time if that gives you joy you know this is the so thing I, and I think yeah I think there is something to that as we get older we get more and more afraid and I think we're told oh you're not good at that and we start mm. believing it but yeah. who cares who cares who cares yeah who cares yeah shut up those voices <laughs> shut, shut up your... those voices yeah but, and I think that is maybe the gift also of middle age is that you start to realize like, wait a second, well, that's bullshit. I don't, yes. don't want to listen to that anymore. Yes. And as women, we do spend a lot of time pleasing. And for me, like I said, I'm going to be 57 in April. I don't give a shit what people think anymore. I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with who I am, the choices I made. I sleep at night with a clear conscience. You know, I don't give a shit if you don't like my comedy or you don't think I made the right decision with my kids uh, or you, you know, I don't need all that judgment. And I hate that. I have a really strong group of women around me here and comics notoriously are very cutthroat, but the women in Sacramento, you know, if somebody says I've got a show, are you available? And I don't think that's the show for me. I'm not going to grab it 
just as a power grab, I'll say, no, I can't do it, but Danielle can, or Asia May can, or Wendy can. I, I've got people who I'm like, this is a good fit for them, you know, because women need to be more helpful. It's it's not a competition. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's another message that we get a lot. Yeah. And and one of the reasons I really like that that midlife bites group is everybody is so supportive. You know, not everybody's making great decisions but they're trying to get through life and we all have to make mistakes and we all mess up on our way there. But that group is so supportive and I'm really looking forward to reading her book. I haven't because I'm writing kind of my own mommy book and I try to, I try to avoid reading similar, like I'm not going to read a historical novel right now about World War II from a woman's perspective while I'm writing my mother's story. I want to get that first draft down so it's pure yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm looking forward to reading her book. Yeah, so tell me about your um, your memoir that we won't call a memoir. Again, it's just, it's it's goofy parenting stories. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, they're not all mine. Some of them are, you know, I, ha- I I've always surrounded myself with uh, groups of good women. And in Hawaii, there's probably 15 of us that are still just really tight friends, you know, and in, in my standup, I say, I've not, you know, these are my gals. I've known them for 35 plus years, your gals. We've raised kids together. We've buried parents. We've buried husbands. I know where the bodies are, you know, <laughs> but you know, we, and, and we all have bad days, especially, you know, I had three kids in four and a half years and they were all raising kids and it was very much a community there. And we raised each other's kids kind of thing too. So I know all their stories too. And they're just little vignettes of how hard parenting can be and how you can think you're the worst parent in the world every day. And then your kids grow up to be fine because they don't remember that you didn't. <laughs> you gave them here. Didn't make a birthday cake. You know, you you baked one every other year. Your mother was in the hospital. You didn't have time. You bought one. Who cares? You know, stop beating yourself up. For, yeah. So it's stories like that. Stories that I hope women can read and go, oh my God, I totally get this. And I thought I was horrible for that too, you know? And then your kids grow up to be fine. They do. <laughs> so how does, because I'm, I'm fascinated by the, like the interactive element of stand-up and you're now writing a book like do you find that you write differently now because you've had that feedback like when I write comedy for example I'm like I hope this is funny Mm. and maybe my you know critique partner will be like lol in this one section I'll be like okay that one was funny but do you find that you can understand like what's going to resonate more with your readers because you've had that like live experience for for me writing something like like a a novel or an article or you know that's a very solitary thing for me I I don't do that in groups I've never written any of my books you know I I would you know an editor will have some input but it's a very solitary endeavor right comedy on the other hand I think is very social And and I know a lot of comedians who write like Jerry Seinfeld, you know, one of the biggest comedians in the world. He does that all by himself, but he goes and workshops it out and he does get the audience feedback. To me, a a live stand up comedy show is like a, you know, it's like a play. Every time is different. You can have the same material. You know, my jokes are written, but I'm not 
you know, I'm not reading them off. I'm not reciting words. The audience has something to do with it. Mm -hmm. And when I walk in a room and I see, you know, it's a group of middle-aged couples, or I walk in a room and I see it's 23-year-old college students, Mm -hmm. that's a very different take of the same material bits. You know, I might, I might switch something up. I might, well, I, I will switch something up, but the, and I learned during Zoom during the pandemic too, is that, cause I did some Zoom comedy shows, but it's very different. It's, you're not getting that audience feedback. You're telling yeah. them jokes, yeah. you know, right. for me, because my <clears throat> comedy style is so conversational mm-hmm. and so inter active and it's not that I not that the audience participates but I want them be there with me I can see the reaction on their face when I talk about divorce or parenting or trying to fit into jeans after you take them out of the dryer and you've gained pounds you know it's an interactive that's the difference for me most of what I write as a writer not a comedian Hmm. is I think at least first draft for me you know, I don't want to hear my mother's voice in my head. I don't want to hear my editor's voice in my head. I'm, I'm going to get that first draft out, how I see it, whether I'm writing about, you know, a travel article going to the Cook Islands or whether I'm writing about five-year-old sleepovers. You know, it's, it's going to be from my perspective and we can hone it from there. Comedy, a lot of comedy writing, a lot of bits happens while you're in a car with three other people driving to and from a show. You know, you're just riffing, you're, you're not doing the stuff you've written down that you have worked on. You're just, you know, talking about that tree out there, talking about, you know, that, that person you saw at the bar last night while you were doing your show or, or what, whatever it might be. And, and it's the back and forth and the hilarious stuff that happens. And all of a sudden you go, oh, that's a little nugget hang on, I want to work on that. I got to write that down. And then you write it down and, and you start playing with that idea, whatever idea it is, you know? So it's really mm, connected. Like it's almost like really dynamic, the comedy writing. Like there's the interplay with the crowd when you're with the material, you're, you're not following scripture, like having a conversation with them. And then also the inspiration. It's, it's not necessarily something you sit down and you're like, I'm going to write the comedy now. You're you're, you're getting inspiration from your interactions in life. In life. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's not always comics. I mean, <clears throat> I went to, <laughs> I went to a restaurant and I went in to use the bathroom and this bridal party came in. Like they were out on, it was in San Francisco. So they were out having their thing and the bride was crying. I'm in there washing my hands and I'm just listening and the bride was crying and and one of her bridesmaids said to her, oh, we could do this unless you've had a change of heart. And the bride just whips her head around and she goes, according to my mother-in-law, I don't have a heart. <laughs> and I just thought that was one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my life. You know, <laughs> she was just bald. they were drunk out of their mind. It was, it was, you know, their night before the wedding, dear God, I hope they recovered, but or the weekend before, whatever. But I was just, I thought that was, and I had to get myself out of there because I was going to start laughing. And I'm like, oh, that is solid gold. I'm writing that down. And we are, you know, so it's stuff like that that you see or do. And you're like, oh, I've got to write a bit about that. So you get that nugget and then you might go back and, and write about it, you know? 
Yeah. Do you write um, down right away? I haven't yet. I haven't. And and as a comic, you're always got ideas in the back of the head. I'm sure you do too as a writer. You've just got little things that stick and then it might be three years later and you're like, oh, that needs to go in this. That's why I've hung on to it all these years, you know, but much more comedy writing for me is much more interactive. Um, and especially with my, my mother-in-law's story, you know, I'm doing it fictional, but listening to her 19 hours that I've got recorded, you know, that's not something I want to do with other people. It's a very personal journey for me. Yeah. Whereas comedy has to be about other people, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're really writing it with them in mind. Whereas when you're sitting down to write a novel, like your mother-in-law's, it's like, I'm writing this for me right now. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That's so interesting. When you look back at yourself, the, the Jackie, right uh after that divorce and you're feeling like crap what what advice would you give her hmm i would honestly i'd say allow yourself to feel like shit for a while don't feel like you have to figure it out you're gonna go through a lot you know it's they always say don't make a a, a decision you know right away after a death or you know, a ma major life event and a divorce in a way is a death. It's the mm -hmm. death of the marriage. It's can be the death of your hopes and dreams. And yeah. you're not expected to have it all figured out, you know, it, but I think that's even true in not in a divorce. Let's say, let's say you are in a marriage that is working, you know, there can be, there's, there's ups and downs. And when you're down, allow yourself to feel that, allow yourself to be upset or disappointed or I think you can learn a lot just with that you know or allow yourself to realize this is hard life is hard you know <laughs> um it is every day is hard it, but also that there is something there my mother-in-law who like I said was a, a refugee three times in her life I mean lost her house you know in in Europe during world wars and she used to tell me that when you when you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, it doesn't mean it's there. There's just a bend in the tunnel. So find the bend and go around it. There'll be light. And I love that. Yeah, I love that. I love that. It looks pitch black, but there's, you just got to be flexible. Find your way around it and there'll be light at the end of, at the end of it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Jack. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this all week, really. I've been uh, talking with another Jackie. I love it. <laughs> Well, so have I, and it was so much fun. And I feel like that you just share so much wisdom and, and laughter that is going to just light up the days of our, our listeners, our writing moms out there. So thank you. Oh, I hope so. Hope you enjoyed that conversation and enjoyed meeting Jackie. She is such a hoot and also has so much wisdom. I will post in the show notes about her comedy show so you can see if she's coming to a town near you. Okay, so here are the top takeaways. One, it doesn't matter if you are 17 or 107, you can always start over jobs, marriage, side hustles, whatever. You just have to let yourself be terrible for a while. Number two, take the class, buy the book, whatever the next step is, do it. Number three, let yourself feel sad when you need to feel sad. Number four, when you're writing comedy, you write for the audience. When you're writing novels, you write for yourself first draft anyway number five share your stories ladies they're important and number six and always have your notebook handy in case you run into a bride without a heart in the bathroom and need to get that shit down 
Thank you so much for listening. As always, it's such a treat to be here and to hear your comments. If you have any takeaways that you want to share, please message me on Instagram and I can read them out on the next show. If you want to continue the conversation, sign up for our Facebook group, These Moms Right, where we talk with show guests about the different ideas and approaches that are shared here. I also have the newsletter, These Moms Right. I'll put a link to both of those in the show notes. And I would love it if you could rate, review, subscribe, like this podcast show on Apple or Spotify. That would help me out so much. I'll talk to you next week. In the meantime, happy writing.